Recording live on a Tuesday, Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter. This is the Dubcast. It is Clemson week. It is college football playoff week. It's a, it's it's fun, right? But at the same time, we've had to wait a month for a game. And <laughs> yeah. so it's like everybody, you know, you put college football on the back burner and, and then all of a sudden you, you've got like five days and you're going to play, you know, the biggest game of the year on a huge stage um, on New Year's Eve night, which I think sucks. And we can talk about that, too. Um, but, but this is an odd place, isn't it? As a, as a, as a football fan, a, a passionate follower and Johnny, I would think it is odd for the players too, um, to go through such a long, I mean, it's been a month since they played a football game, my friend. Yeah. Well, and everybody was saying like, you know, this year anyway, that it's a good thing, you know, they can get better. They can figure out the wide receivers. They can figure out all this other stuff. I, I just think we project our fears onto that break whenever, like, you know, our, yeah. our hopes and fears. Uh, for everything that we need in a football team because if it's you know if we gotta if there's a part of the team that people want to see improve then they'll go then that's great that'll be perfect if there's you know everything's that's going true. great the team's doing really well people are going to freak out about the layoff I don't really know how exactly how that'll affect the team I, I think you know everybody has to deal with layoffs and things like that sure weird because you don't have the you know championship right to to kind of bridge that gap for an, like an extra week basically that's which right it really does anything but Honestly, like this is something football teams have been dealing with for hundreds of years since the dawn of time. It's just the way it is. Yeah, it's the way it is. And and look, if if you can't figure out how to handle it, then you probably aren't going to be a very good football team. Period. So it's that's, the only sport that 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 we follow in this country that does this. Yeah, and there's no other sport that plays a regular season, stops for a month, and then plays its most important games. Right. I mean, it's, that's crazy. Can you imagine any other sport doing that? I mean, the closest thing we have to that is the NFL, where the top two seeds get buys. But that's it. Everybody else plays straight through. Uh, you know, in the NBA, you're, you you play the 82-game regular season, then you go into a seven-game series right out of the gates. I mean, college football is is bizarre in that way, that, that it takes a month off. If you don't play in the conference championship game, if you don't have a kid on the, on the award circuit, you're, you're pretty much just hanging out for a month. I and will say this, though. I think yeah, different sports are bizarre in other ways. Like, I think it's bizarre that the NBA is an 82-game regular season that no one cares about, right? Like, well, it's, that's, I, mean, I think it, that's it more of a recent trend. I mean, it, there was a time when there were, you know, 15 good teams in the NBA, and it mattered a lot more. Now there's right. two, you know, right. so it doesn't. But yeah, I get your well, point, that, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like, it, it changes over time. And, like, sometimes, I mean, you know, I think when the college football, when you had, like, you know, 11 games in a season – it was probably even weirder, right? Because you were just waiting, sitting around right. after playing not even that many games. And so, Johnny, just... I mean, it's not that long ago, Ohio State did not play in a Big Ten championship game and finished the season the week before Thanksgiving. Right. Play right. against January 1st. I mean, they were right. off seven weeks. Yeah. Which I mean, is it's, it's just a cra- when you When you step back and think about it, it's a crazy way to go about it that you would take almost half your season off in terms of time elapsed before playing a game again. Uh, yeah. But nevertheless, we'll do it. Urban had a great comment in the in the press conference uh, before he left Columbus about how uh, we give him gifts. <laughs> we give him great all the gifts we, that, that the NCAA will allow. We mm-hmm. give him great food, and we give him all the money the NCAA will allow. That that's how we keep him happy. He goes, "That's how you keep a nineteen year old happy." So that's what he does. The other thing he does in practice is is is, and we had Zach Bourne on the television show today, and I encourage you to watch it. it was just Zach and I, we had a fun conversation and and some really. Um, in illuminating conversation about about what bowl month is like, and and Zach shared some great stories about how uh, Urban uh, is he treats it almost like training camp. 
Like there's incredible competition, incredible amount of physicality. Um, Zach even went so far as to say that some of the practices are like the Michigan game. Like that's how intense some of the practices are in the lead up to the bowl game. Um, and, and Zach actually participated in the practices. So did Bobby Carpenter, two great friends of mine, uh, participated in the, in the practices leading up to this. So um, that, that's kind of the way that Urban handles it. And then he mixes that, that intensity with, um, you know, the coaches challenge, which you, I'm sure you saw that went viral coaches versus player challenges. So they had oh, a little yeah. bit of fun, you know, they give them all the money, the gifts and the food that the NCAA will allow. And, and then they have these intense practices. Urban does it as good as anybody. I mean, there's nobody who does it better. Saban maybe does it as good, but Urban does it as good as anybody in terms of getting a team prepared. Uh, so that's how your Buckeyes will be prepared for Clemson. Yeah, well, and, and you have to. Like, you, you have to develop these things to keep your team interested, to keep them motivated, because otherwise they're just going to, you know, lay a wet fart. And I, what, I, what is fascinating to me, like, it's one thing to get pumped for the playoffs, right? Or, like, even the Rose Bowl or some of these other ones. I don't understand how you take that much time off and then try to get your team prepared for like the quick lane bowl in Detroit. Right. Or you're, well, going to that's how you get, you're right. And that's a great point. And I mean, that's a tough sell. I mean, you saw Mississippi yeah. state, like you think of the games Mississippi state played this year and they played Miami in some bowl in St. Pete that I don't even know the name of. Right. Yeah. I think it was the other day, yesterday, maybe like that's a tough sell. I mean, you see why Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette say, you know, I'm good. I think. I'll, <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I think I'll sit this out. This bunch of nonsense. Well, and right now, like Washington State and Minnesota are in a three to six game at halftime. Um, it, Washington State that, has three or six points at halftime. Yeah, I know it's insane, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't like if I'm one of those wow. players. Obviously, that's not playing up to their typical offensive standards. So, right, I, I don't know why I'd be interested in that if I were playing. I'm on the national funding holiday bowl, yeah. and God knows where. Like, I don't know why you would get up for that, and I totally understand why a guy like McCaffrey would be like, screw this. I'm not getting hurt for a, an exhibition game that five people watch. Like that's right. insane. No, it, it's totally insane. So uh, w- w- what we have is not that we have a game with no. tremendous interest. We have a college football semifinal, national semifinal playoff. And as if that wasn't fun enough, we get a little spice added into it today. Jader Johnson or Jadar Johnson. I'm not sure what his name is. Heath Klein, uh, our, <laughs> our Southern Southern college football bureau chief will join us momentarily. And he can clarify that. Um, I should know his name because the kid's got a loud mouth and I love kids with loud mouths. So he's asked about JT Barrett, and I'm paraphrasing, but Johnson says essentially, look, we're not scared of him. I think Braxton Miller had the better arm, was the better quarterback. Um, There's really nothing to fear with JT Barrett. Look, everything he's saying is truthful, that JT doesn't have a big, powerful arm. What's amazing to me, Johnny, is is, uh, two things jump out. Number one, we want these guys to be candid. Then when we are, we criticize him for it, much like Ezekiel Elliott last year after the Michigan State game when he said, you know, I should have got the ball more. He was right. But then people were critical of it. And where I the, the, the next part of that is, and this is the part where I come down on it, the amount of media training that an elite athlete at Clemson or Ohio State gets from the sports, sports information staff at Ohio State and Clemson is probably more than most of their classes, right? These yeah. guys are taught what to say, how to say, and when to say it. I mean, they're drilled. Um, they bring, a lot of times they bring in outside companies to come in and talk go over it with them. I've did this at Florida state. They asked me to come in and, and talk to those kids when I was down in Florida about how to talk to the media. Um, so I'm sh- always a little shocked when a player does it. Now what's interesting about Johnson is he did this earlier in this season to Lamar Jackson, mm. where he said, I don't think he's anything special or something to that effect. Lamar Jackson ends up 456 yards and three touchdowns, total offense and touchdowns 
Uh, Clemson wins the game, so he doesn't look like a total fool. But this dude has ran his mouth before, and I'm glad he did because it makes this thing that much more interesting that we got a little bit of salt poured on the wound. I'm a big fan (laughs) of this kid kind of poking the bear a little bit. Yeah. Well, no, and that's fair. And uh, and like you said, everything that he said is is reasonably accurate. And I think people get really upset when players point out the obvious because they don't want to admit the obvious to themselves. But I want to I want to read exactly what he said because this you is have like, it good. Yeah, to me, this is what the story really is about. So this is what Johnson said. He said he's pretty good. We've definitely faced quarterbacks better than him. I feel that like if we can limit him on the ground with his running, then we'll be pretty good. I don't think he's a very accurate passer. Like I said, I'm not taking anything away from him. <laughs> yeah, he just literally did. But anyway, I'm not taking anything away from him. He's definitely a good player, but I feel like his strong point is on his legs. Look, that is the most... I understand that he's criticizing JT Barrett a little bit, yeah. but it's not like he's coming after the dude. He's not like saying, I want to make orphans of his children. Like, no, like the dude is just stating the obvious and he's not a jerk about it. Like, I don't, I I just just think it's hilarious that we're so thirsty for any kind of like honesty and realism. As somebody who was in the media for a lot of years and attended more of these things than I care to remember. Yeah. It's shocking when somebody says even that. Because right. the majority of the time they say nothing because they're taught to say right. nothing. So it's shocking when they say something that's candid. This kid was candid and honest. So yes. JT and JT, it'll bug JT and, and, and he'll have a chance to, to make it right. You know, when they play the game on Saturday night. And the one thing I'd say to Mr. Johnson is that there's a big difference in JT Barrett playing outside in inclement weather and him playing in a dome. And right. so his accuracy tends to shift pretty dramatically uh with with those two with those two things so um it, to me this just adds a little spice to it yeah i mean it's it'll it's, i think it's going to be a fun game regardless but you kind of do want to see things like this just so that there's a storyline people can talk about it before the game uh but he's not wrong and i i just am not gonna i don't know i don't think anybody's really been crucifying i don't really think many ohio state fans would be like oh screw this guy because I think right. in, in our heart of hearts, we, we know that he's not wrong about a lot of the stuff that he said. But, um, you know, it, it's it's fun to see a little bit of flavor, I guess, in a like you said, in a sport where it's, you know, they try to make it as bland as humanly possible. So I want to see more of that. And, and honestly, like, I don't know why. Like, I understand there's the whole, like, motivation angle, but it just, it seems so disingenuous to talk to your team. You know, oh, like, we got to, you, know, so what you know what I'm saying? It's it's a that is a that is a, a that is a the message board thing is a creation, uh, probably started with coaches of right. the media and fans and message boards. If right. you think if you think J T Barrett needs this to be more motivated, that's what I'm saying. I mean, come on, he's completely motivated, and so is everybody on that team. The stakes are enormous. You can talk about needing motivation if you're playing in whatever bowl you know Washington State and Minnesota are playing in. Okay, then maybe you need motivation. Yeah, not in this game. You don't need no. any help in this game. You're going to be fine. No. no. And and I just I just think it's ridiculous that they're going to say, "Well, now JT Barrett's going to care." And I'm like, "Really?" Like I feel like I feel like, like this might be- have been a big one for him beforehand, but I don't oh, know. Oh god, you know, you know what he's been waiting for this for 2 years. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. I mean, he, had a, he he was on a he was on a scooter the last time. And that was his team, <laughs> yeah. you know? Come on. Yeah, I thought about that a lot. I can't imagine what he must have felt like. I mean, I'm I know that obviously he was rooting for his team and he wanted Cardell to be successful. I'm not saying anything like that, but 
just to to be in charge of that team, to get that team to the point where it was going to be, and then watch as somebody else takes in the national championship. And that's got to be hard to watch to an extent. I mean, I know you're no, going to be happy for your teammates, but being on the sidelines in that moment, especially when you're that kind of competitor, has got to be just really rough. It wasn't just him. It was yeah. Braxton, too. Right, right. This was Braxton's program. I mean, he was the face of the program, right? Yep. I mean, he was a two-time Big Ten player of the year, and this was his team that we yeah. were all waiting for, for him to, this was his squad. So I remember going into that locker room when they beat Alabama and when they won the national championship and, and JT Barrett and, and Braxton Miller and Cardell were all kind of sitting together and Cardell's bouncing off. The, he just won the national championship. And, and there were certainly, and this is human nature. This is nothing against them. There, there was certainly uh, melancholy in the eyes of JT Barrett and Braxton Miller for what th- this was their team. I mean, yeah. this is Braxton Miller's team in 2014, and then it became JT Barrett's team, and then it became Cardell Jones's team. But you bet you you damn well you're right to say that that they that JT and Braxton were like, boy, this is this is off, right? I got to watch somebody else quarterback my team to a national championship. Cardell Jones, <laughs> right? I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> no, it was crazy. I mean, that's why, and I, I've said this before. I stand by it. I will never. I've been to a lot of crazy things. I've seen some incredible, you know, Super Bowl type big things in live and in person covering them. Been very blessed. There will be nothing in my life that will that I anticipate ever comparing to the 2014 Ohio State football team's run through Wisconsin, Alabama, and Oregon. Yeah. Nothing. I mean, it, that was the most improbable thing that I've ever witnessed in sport. And it, now you look back on it, you go, it's an urban machine. But if you put yourself back in that place and you think about a third string quarterback going into the sugar bowl to beat Nick Saban in Alabama, I think they were a 14 point underdog. You go, well, that ain't going to happen. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's easy now to say, yeah, that makes sense. But then yeah. it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. So we'll see if this team can get it done. They'll, they'll, uh, they'll start their journey against a very good Clemson team on Saturday night. All right. And with that, we bring on our Southern football correspondent, our bureau chief, my good buddy, Heath Klein. Now, Heath was recently ranked 33rd nationally by Radio Inc. in terms of sports talk hosts in the country. And I'm telling you that because his show is that good. And I mean that sincerely. He's a great friend of mine. I've known him for a long time. I've done his show. He's done my show for years. Nobody knows Southern football like this guy, and so it's a great pleasure to have you on, my friend. 107.5, the game down in Columbia. Covers Clemson, covers South Carolina. Very good feel for it. Um, this Clemson team, my friend, I, I, I look at them and I go, wow, that is a ton of talent. Uh, I look at recruiting and I go, Dabo is right there with Jimbo and Urban and Saban and the very best in the country when it comes to, to acquiring talent and getting it on campus. Um, and yet I watch this team sometimes this year, and it reminds me a little bit of Ohio State a year ago where the talent didn't always show up every given Saturday. Uh, can you make, make sense of what type of Clemson team Ohio State will see this Saturday? Well, what you just said, Bo, is actually what I've been saying for basically the last two months. I mean, they, they have almost exactly duplicated Ohio State last year. I mean, you think about how many times we watched the Buckeyes play last year, and you said, I know they're better than they, there's no yeah. reason they should be in a game with Indiana. And yet, for whatever reason, just that, that extra gear, the thing that makes them special, they just never quite hit it. And they always won, but there was always that feeling of, eh, something's missing, though. 
And you look at Clemson. I mean, Clemson should have lost NC State. If NC State's kicker makes a makeable, very makeable field goal, instead of looking like a guy that got pulled out of the stands to kick for a truck, if he makes that field goal, they lose. Uh, you look at Troy. I'm sure you guys didn't remember this one, but Troy early in the year, uh, Troy got completely hosed on a call. Clemson's trying to score, fumbles. Troy recovers the ball clean and takes it 99 yards. If they score, Clemson's losing at home to Troy in the fourth quarter <laughs> of their second game of the year. They just kept screwing around and playing those kind of games. You know, Louisville, if the kid knows where the first down marker is, Louisville probably beats them. And finally against Pitt, it caught him. And then just like when the Buckeyes got it together and said, you know, maybe if we just give Ezekiel Elliott the ball a lot, maybe good things will happen. That seems to have been what Clemson's done, too. Kind of kind of figured some things out and just hit a different gear. And if, if you get that Clemson, frankly, I think the Buckeyes are in trouble. If you get the Clemson that turned it over in the red zone way too much and, and played a little sloppy, then the Buckeyes, I think, could easily win this football game. It's just a matter of whether what they did those last three games was a reflection of playing Wake Forest, South Carolina, and an okay Virginia Tech, or whether they've really found what was missing. And I think I lean towards choice two there. So one of the things that I was kind of curious about is, and when we, we talk about, you know, this being a huge, huge game, and I think sometimes people think maybe more so for Clemson than for Ohio State. Ohio State's won recently. One thing I think Ohio State fans don't really realize is how good Clemson has been in the past several years. I think maybe they're still stuck in like 2008, 2000, you know, 2007, whatever. Um, how much has uh, Dabo changed the culture of that program? And, and are they on the trajectory where they can, you know, start challenging Ohio State and Alabama on a consistent basis? The biggest thing is that Dabo is a guy who is defined by his coordinators. And we'll see what they are next year, assuming the staff remains intact and there's no reason to think it won't. Uh, we'll see what these two guys that are working as co-coordinators are in the offense without Deshaun Watson. I have still some questions there. As long as they have Watson and they still have Chad Morris's core scheme, things are fine right now. I, I'm, I'm still curious. It doesn't mean it won't work, but I'm still curious to see how that transition works once they don't have Deshaun Watson, because that's deodorant that covers a lot of errors for them if they have problems. Uh, the other side of the ball, I mean, Venables, he spent the money, found a guy that basically Bob wanted Mike Stoops back on his staff, and Brent Venables realized, i got to go somewhere else, and they paid him the money, and it's been worth every dime. I mean, that dude is a terrific defensive coordinator, yet for whatever reason hasn't been scooped up by somebody for a head coach. You, know, you, you hear it maybe at some point Bill Snyder has to stop coaching, maybe 10 more years or so he goes, and then he goes back to K-State. But you know, for whatever reason, Venables has hung around. And as long as Dabo's got those coordinators, Dabo's not a great X and O guy. Dabo was never a coordinator himself. But as long as he's got the right guys in place, the rest of it, the front man role, the recruiting, the rallying the crowd, the, the, all that, he's incredible at. And so as long as he keeps the right staff together and Clemson, to their credit, knows what he is and spends a ton of money on coordinators and assistants, he'll be very, very powerful for everybody to deal with for a long time. He's got a little Bobby Bowden in him then. And I mean, 90s, you know, 90s, not 80s old school Bowden, play anybody, beat anybody, call anything Bowden. But in the 90s when Bowden's dynasty was his best, many people would say the same thing about him, that um, what his job was, was to get the best players in the country and let his coaches coach. 
And and that that, that when I got there, by the time I got there in the you know late nineties, early two thousands, that's the way Bowden did it. And and what's interesting to me about Dabo is is the his ability to recruit. Clemson has always been able to to steal a five star here and there, but consistently to do it in the top five in the country, which is what he's done really the last five six years, is pretty is pretty great. And and when I tell people up here about Clemson is. Uh, Clemson and Florida State are SEC schools masquerading around in the ACC. They, they are more SEC than some of the teams in the SEC. Uh, they have all the advantages of the SEC, except they get to play in the ACC. Um, so it seems like he's taking complete and full advantage of that. Oh, no question. I mean, if we were in a world where things weren't defined by TV networks, the SEC would never in a million years have added Missouri instead of Clemson. I mean, Clemson would be a natural fit, just like if FSU wanted in, they would have been a natural fit. But with teams in those states, it's all about TV sets and blah, blah, blah. And so they're not there. But otherwise, no. Spiritually, Clemson is totally an SEC school. There's no question. Uh, the, the thing about them, too, is Dabo brought in a guy who had been a part of Saban's recruiting machine, and they have built that same kind of recruiting structure at Clemson. And now they have this new a crazy play world that they've basically built for their guys. I mean, they got bowling alleys and miniature golf course and a slide. I mean, so yeah, everything they're doing over there is very much geared towards the idea of boy, oh boy, you come here and it's just going to be the most funnest place in the world for you to come <laughs> be a football player. And, you know, as long as you're sending guys to the league, uh, I think, you know, they'll, that, that's appealing to people. The other thing is too, Clemson, I don't know if people realize this outside of, of the South. Clemson is very, very heavy into a certain kind of kid. If you are a kid who is very religious, they will hammer that thing home. I mean, if Clemson is a public school, and yet they had a religious freedom group file a complaint against them for having a baptism on the field. I mean, they any kid that they can get the hook of, hey, you know, you're a Christian, you want to come to a safe, nice environment that's got... God-fearing people coaching you, Clemson will bang that thing like they do that drum up at Purdue, and and they've had wow. a lot of success with it. I, <laughs> I had I did not know that. I mean, I'd been I've been there a couple of times. I had no idea that that was uh, something that they pushed. Oh, it's a huge part of Dabo's hook, no question about it. And wow. again, for kids like uh, C.J. Spiller, for example, it's it's paid right. off really well for him over the years. You know, you're not going to get everybody with that pitch, sure. But there's enough kids every year that that pitch really connects with, and it's been a huge part of why they've been able to do what they do. Wait, did they wow, actually good. have a baptism on the field? Yeah, yeah, it was a Sunday practice, and they they brought out the tank and the preacher and the whole bit. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, that'd be yeah. that would be quite shocking done up here. Yeah, absolutely. Man, holy crap. That would be... Uh, I heard people up there couldn't stand John Cooper's accent, so yeah, I don't don't think they'd be digging Dabo too much. No, not too much. Uh, One thing that they they would dig up here a lot, and Urban went after him hard, is Deshaun. And uh, I wanted to talk to you about him, because you've seen him a lot, and I kind of had this feeling with him that, you know, sometimes if you come back for that, and he didn't have a choice, but you you come back and you you have to play. If if Deshaun were able to come out of last year after the way he played against Alabama, he would have been the first quarterback picked in the NFL draft. I believe that. Um, instead, you know, he, he comes back, and then people look for holes in his game. I had him number one on my Heisman ballot two years ago. I didn't have him number one this year, but statistically, he's he's about the same. He's a little, about 500 less rushing yards, but passing, he's about the same player as he was a year ago. And and Heath, I'm just curious what you think of him. Um, my, my view in the games I've seen, I haven't seen as many as you have, is that it seems like he's worked very hard on trying to prove he's a pocket passer and he's not running as much as he used to um, in an effort to prove that. But it's not like that weapon doesn't exist 
when he needs it. Um, give, give me your read on on Deshaun Watson, uh, both as as the as a college quarterback playing in a college football semifinal, and then also how you think he projects to the next level as we continue to do this podcast in the state of Ohio, where a team here will have the number one pick in the draft. I will be fascinated to see what happens with him in the pros. You know, you've had a guy like McShay, and I'm not a huge McShay fan from ESPN, but if he says scouts told him something, I will take him at his word. He said that there were multiple teams that had told him they had a third round or lower grade on Watson, that they had questions about accuracy and so forth. Now, having said that, you saw that Alabama game. It mm-hmm. looked like accuracy was a problem in that game. Now, he did throw no. the one bad pick, but accuracy sure didn't look like a problem to me. It's hard to know whether or not it is what you said about trying to show for the pros, hey, look, I don't have to run. I can be a pass-first guy, and how much of it is, hey, we need this guy, so we're not going to expose him to as many hits because we don't need to because we have so many athletes. I think that the Buckeyes will see a different version of Deshaun Watson than you have seen in 2016. I think they will be much more likely to choose to use him in the run game in this game now that they've gotten to the playoff than they were during the regular season. So I think that that will definitely become a bigger component in this game. Um, You know, I, I, I would have trouble taking him really, really high just because if I'm the Browns and I have that first pick, that would seem too high. But if I've got a guy I like and then he's still there at 10, if you're satisfied with what you see in the film room and the other stuff that you know we don't know, assuming he does what you think you need him to do there, I would certainly be inclined to think he would be worth it. I know some people are in love with the Trubisky kid. Yeah. Um, I, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Name one guy that has taken until his fourth year to start that was worthy of being a top 10 pick that wasn't playing. We're not talking Mark Sanchez behind the guys that you get at a place like Southern Cal. It was right. behind two guys in Bren Renner and uh, Marquise Williams who didn't even make NFL rosters, uh, you know, practice squad guys. And I'm supposed to believe off of one good year in an offense that notoriously creates in anybody who plays in it huge yardage numbers, I'm supposed to believe that guy's a top 10 quarterback? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I take my chances with Deshaun if I'm the Browns. That those are the two guys they're thinking. I like Kaiser over at uh, Notre Dame a lot, but if it's Trubisky, they're thinking about. Yeah, I, I take my chances with Deshaun. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Well, for, I, I agree with you. And, if and I'm thank Deshaun, you I, uh, I pray that he doesn't end up you know being that attractive, <laughs> and maybe maybe the the Browns take on him a little bit. Um, so let me ask you this: let's let's go out to the other quarterback then. Do you feel that a frank assessment that was just offered of JT Barrett from a Clemson player is an accurate assessment? I mean, for whatever reason, the, the, watching that team, the downfield passing game has not seemed to be what we would have thought it would be. And I mean, look, Noah Brown, I mean, we all saw it, right? What happened there? I mean, you guys see them more on a day-to-day basis than me, but I mean, it sure looked like the guy could play, so so why is that not turned into more than what it has been? I just... You know, the fact that we've seen him do it in the past, you you can't rule out that Barrett can go down the field consistently. It's just that watching him, it hasn't really been there, at least when I've seen him play this last few weeks. So I'm a little puzzled by it. I feel like it should be there, but I also can't say that the kid from Clemson's just wrong. I mean, you know, he says he's not the best quarterback they've seen. I mean, they saw Lamar Jackson, so that that pretty much settles that question, at least for this (laughs) year. So, I mean, I... I, I thought that if we're kind of reaching, if that's what we're turning into some kind of bulletin board trash talk material, but 
you know, what, what he said, I, I thought was at least reasonably fair. I don't know what the take is up there. People were, you know, offended no, by it or no. not, but I, I thought he was reasonably accurate in what he said. Heath, I think all of us agree that what he said was accurate. I, I think what, what, like we talked about this a little earlier in the pod before you joined, and, and what, I, my, what I think is stunning is, and you know this as well as I do, the amount of coaching that, a, that media coaching that a, that a kid who plays football at Clemson gets and a kid who plays football at Ohio State gets is off the charts. It's probably more than they get in terms of instruction of it than any class they take in terms of how well they're drilled on it. So I'm just stunned when there's anything. When, when they say anything, and, and this kid's done it before. He said about, uh, he said Lamar Jackson, uh, I'm paraphrasing, something like we don't have anything to worry about with him. So um, so I, I just think it's great that this kid has said this, that, that he says these things and he's candid. And um, no, I don't think it's any big controversy. And I certainly don't think JT Barrett's going to need any motivation. I think um, he'll be properly motivated to play in the game. Let me ask you this. Um, I have a pretty good idea on the recipe for success for Ohio State if they're going to get a win. What's the recipe for Clemson? to win Saturday night? I would think that they would focus first and foremost on containing the run and then just basically say, we're going to make you beat us with the pass. And if you can do it, then, hey, congratulations to you. But I would think their their one and two priorities would be contain the run game with the backs and contain the run game with Barrett. Just say, we're not going to let you beat us on the ground. And you, you've got a guy in Boulware in particular that if they're playing for the run, Bullware is a really excellent player. If you can attack him in the pass game successfully, you can actually make him into a liability for Clemson. So I think that they would like to have the kind of game where Bullware can be out there basically as much as possible and, and be an effective player for them. Uh, you know, offensively, they will score. I mean, I, I just I don't see. Yeah. I don't care how good the Buckeye D is. The amount of talent on that team offensively, they will find ways to score. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys watched the South Carolina-Clemson game or not, but the first touchdown they scored in that game, Jamarcus King, who is a pretty good football player, I think King is a guy who, with another year, will probably be an NFL player. Uh, Jamarcus King was in perfect position on Mike Williams. It just it didn't matter because the dude yeah. is like 6'3 and can jump higher than you. And it, it, later on, the guy tries to tackle him, same guy, tries to tackle him with a nine, and he proceeds to just carry him, give him a piggyback ride, for like eight yards. I mean, it's just absurd. I mean, you you can't cover that guy. I don't care who you are. You want to cover him, you need a bat. So, they, and, and he's just one of their guys. Yeah. He didn't even play in the game last year. I mean, you got right. a kid like Leggett at tight end. You've got, uh, you know, there's, just, there's so many weapons that they will find ways to score. And I think the question then becomes for the Buckeyes, uh, can they find other ways to, to equalize that? I think the special teams is an area they might be able to do that. Clemson can return things, but I think they have some vulnerabilities you can find in their special teams. I think that's one. Uh, I think that that's a team, as I say, with, with, if you can go down the field, I think you can attack them in the secondary. Uh, I also, though, if I'm the Buckeyes, I'm really concerned about that matchup at right tackle. Uh, yeah. That's... That, that D-line is really good. And right tackle, I know in particular, is kind of like a question mark for them performance-wise. So how you account for that in this game, I think, is pretty big. So, yeah, you, you just hit on everything that's going to scare Buckeye fans to right, death. Right, yeah. <laughs> Frankly, exactly. yeah. We all know that we all know the squad that's being run out there. Yeah, I, think yeah, I mean, the, honestly, I, I don't I, – I, you know, Bo, you, you keep an eye on Vegas, so maybe you can yeah. explain it to me. The one thing I will say that Ohio State is unquestionably going to have on their side, this is going to be a home game for the Buckeyes. Yep. I, I've, I've covered games out there, and I know you have too. Yep. I mean, there's a huge number of Ohio people there to begin with. I'm sure plenty more are going. 
Clemson people are saying, nah, nah, we're going to save our money for Tampa. I expect this to be an 80-20 or more scenario for the Buckeyes, and that yeah. might be one thing that could be a difference maker here because Clemson people are totally expecting to win this game. But I, I, why the Buckeyes are favored here, I'm not quite seeing it's got to be just a belief in Urban. It's it's a belief in Urban. It's a knowing that a lot of money is going to go on Ohio State, and in, you know Vegas protects themselves there. But Ohio State has been terrible against the number all year. I, I don't know the num- I don't know the exact stats on it, but I would say about half the time they haven't covered. Um, so the, of all the Ohio State teams, and and there have been plenty where you would you would say that makes sense. I agree with you. This one doesn't. Uh, I I'm actually of the belief that if Clemson plays at their peak, they might be the best team in this tournament. Um, I think that I, I just, when you talk about the weapons they have offensively, and you mentioned Williams, uh, you know, Gallman's been better as the season's gone along, especially the second half. I mean, what do they got? Heath, they got like five guys with over 400 yards receiving. I mean, they can just hurt you in so many ways, and the defensive line's a problem. Now they got a great defense. So if, if they're a motivated, focused bunch playing to their potential, and I think most Buckeye fans would acknowledge that this Ohio State team is a year away, and you say Clemson's going to win the game. But the thing that, that as a Buckeye fan, that, that you probably cling to is, if you remember 2014, Urban Meyer said, we're a year away. We're, we're not what we, next year we'll compete for a national championship. We're not, we can't beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. Are you kidding me? And they did it. So that that's kind of the, that's that's the thing that you kind of cling to. But no, this, this, yeah, they are what they are. They are the team that, that did that to Bama last year, and they have the talent that, that we've all discussed. So I uh, appreciate your time, my friend. You are one of the best, and uh, great insight as always. Hey, time, guys. Great stuff from Heath Klein there, 107.5 The Game. Follow him on Twitter. Very good when it comes to Southern football encyclopedic knowledge. Johnny, the, the thing that uh, most shocking is I, I, I've been to Clemson twice. I had no idea of the religious nothing. I, I, never, I, mean, I never know that. That was fascinating. Yeah. It doesn't shock me. I, I remember. No. I mean, it, it shocks I me they were that they, selling they it had though. A baptism. That's shocking. Yeah. Um, it doesn't. I. So here's the thing. When I was uh, before we had the beat writers, and when I went on to to campus to do, you know, like to look at practices and take pictures and stuff, yeah. I distinctly remember talking to a dude who was uh, involved in like the the like Bible football partnership that Jim Trestle was kind of having. I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I mean, it's a little maybe skirting the line a little bit, endorsement of you know whatever. But, yeah. um, you know, I thought it, it seemed like a positive thing. It seemed good, but I didn't think it would ever really go beyond that. Cause I know that Ohio state is very conscious about, you know, being inclusive and not like trying mm-hmm. to make anybody feel uncomfortable. And that's, and there's, and again, I support that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I'm sure. And I, I hadn't thought about it, but I'm sure there are, you know, places like Clemson and Ole Miss, like they don't care and they're just going to have baptisms and all, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. And that's fine. Like that's, you know, yeah. if, if the team's behind it, I think that's a really positive thing, but that is, that will that's never crazy. happen at Ohio state. <laughs> not I just happen. couldn't believe that, he, that. I didn't know that that was a selling point that, that yeah. Dabo actively uses that in recruiting. And it makes sense. I mean, remember his comments about certain social issues over the last six months. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not that shocking, but I'm, I, I didn't realize it. So that was good stuff out of Heath. All right. Yeah. So he touched on some things, uh, pretty good breakdown there. Let's get to a couple of things that we'll do three things. Um, that, that jump out to me for Ohio State to win the game okay. on Saturday and advance to the national championship game. The number one thing uh, for me is JT Barrett passing in rhythm. W- what I mean by that is him getting the ball, making a read, and throwing the football. And what the way that that happens is uh, he has to be able to see the field. We know he can do that. He has to have uh, receivers get separation. We hope that they can do that. That's been a problem all year. And he needs the offensive line to give him a little protection, and that's Isaiah Prince. 
that that's a big right. so if, if if that's the number one thing to me because I agree with Heath a hundred percent Clemson will score points in this football game they will score points and Ohio State will score points too but they can't play the way they played against Michigan they've they've got to be able to throw the football in order to spread Clemson out and have any success and so it's J T Barrett throwing the ball in rhythm the ball snapping with some with a little bit of tempo to me that's this whole thing rides on that. Yeah. No, well, and I was, I mean, for me, the first thing is just keeping JT Barrett upright. Like that to me, you you have, like he, it's one thing for him to be accurate and have time and whatever. And that's great. I mean, that's what you're supposed to be doing as a, you know, an offensive line, but like how many, he got sacked like eight times, right. In the Michigan game. Like that that cannot happen. That absolutely. and, And look, Michigan has an excellent defense. But I don't think their defensive line is as good as Clemson's is. I, I think, like, top to bottom in terms of talent, Clemson has a better defensive line, and, and yes. you cannot allow him to get hit constantly during the game. That is going to just throw everything off in terms of, you know, what you mentioned with rhythm in the passing game. You have to keep him upright. For me, that is, like, the absolute biggest yeah. thing offensively. Make sure he is, you know, his shirt stays clean and that he's not just getting his face pushed in the ground every other play. Yeah, we're, we're on the exact same page on that. My second thing is another one with JT Barrett, except this one dovetails to a couple other guys. And it's, <coughs> excuse me, it's JT Barrett's amount of times running the football. It can't be 20. It can't be. Uh, they cannot win the way that Urban has gone about trying to win close games in, against Michigan State, against Michigan in the last couple of years. JT Barrett, in my opinion, JT Barrett cannot rush it 25 times on Ohio State wins. I, I, I just don't think that's a recipe. And, yeah. and, and, and those, I think JT Barrett can't be more than 15, frankly. So 10 to 15 tops. And, and what I would like to see is those carries and touches dispersed primarily to Curtis Samuel, but also to Mike Weber. Um, mm-hmm. So Weber and Samuel, especially Samuel, have got to figure in. You, you heard Heath talk about Bullware and the Clemson linebackers. Look, he's your best offensive player. Please remember that Curtis Samuel's on the football team. That's all I ask of the offensive staff. And if they do, and they keep JT Barrett from running between the tackles to a minimum, I think he got a shot. Yeah, I, so here's what I'm going to do. For my second thing, I'm going to go to the the defense, but I'm also going to kind of include the offense here. I think the defense has to score. I, I think you have to have a situation yeah. where you recover a fumble uh, and run it back. You get it, you know, a, a pick six, something like that. Because, and look... That that seems like a really you know backhanded compliment to the defense. Like, well, you got to play so well. Like, you got you get you can't just play well. You've got to basically like win the game. I don't yeah. believe that. I think Ohio State's defense has done a really good job at being the spark sometimes for the offense. I just think they have to step up again. And look, you know, it's it hasn't been as of late because I think you know Clemson's been a lot better at protecting the ball uh, offensively. But um, they just they have to get some interceptions. They have to be able to you know, get favorable field position and try to at least score one touchdown to try to change the flow of the game. Because again, if it gets into a shootout, Clemson's not losing that game. All right. If if it gets to a situation where you're talking about like a 40-ish point game, I mean, I know, you know, Pitt and all that other stuff and, and Virginia Tech took them to the wire, but I just don't see this Ohio State offense doing that. So you have to have the defense getting involved, uh, scoring some points somehow. And if they can do that, then I think that changes the complexion of the game, especially offensively. That's a great point. My last one is about Deshaun Watson, who I'm, I just am a big, big fan of his game. And um, what I would say is who shadows him because he's going to throw it and he'll throw it accurately. Mike Williams is a beast. Um, Their tight ends. Great. They got a slot receiver. Who's great. I mean, they Gallman's great running the ball. They've got a lot, just tons of talent. Watson's going to throw the ball, but who shadows him last year? It would have been Darren Lee. 
And Darren Lee, sideline to sideline, had enough speed to be able to hang with somebody like Watson. So I would imagine this will fall on Jerome Baker or Chris Worley, and maybe they split a little bit. It might be a situation. I don't think you can bring one of your safeties up because he's too good throwing it. So it's going to have to be a quick linebacker. It might be Jerome Baker. It might be Worley. Maybe they bring in a a defensive back off the bench to do it. Uh, Be interested to see. I don't know how they're going to do it. But you, to me, Watson, and I agree with Heath on this, Watson has been saving those legs for these two games. Yep. And, and he will run. And he, I've seen him beat Florida State with his legs. I've seen him twice. I've seen him beat out, damn near beat Alabama with his legs as well as his arm. He is dual threat. Uh, he's not, he doesn't have the size of Cam Newton, but in terms of skill set, he ha- and he doesn't have maybe the arm strength, but he's everything else. That, that's the type of player he is. So he, it's a problem. I mean, there's a reason that Nick Saban said he's the toughest player they've ever had to defend at Alabama. And he defended Cam. So that tells you what Nick Saban thought of Deshaun Watson. So that is the challenge. How do you keep him from running the ball? Because he's going to be, he's going to throw it. He's going to have success. He may throw a pick. He may throw three touchdowns. But if he runs for 125 yards, that's a problem. And yeah. he's capable. Yeah, I think, and I think that's the wrinkle that they're going to try to throw at Ohio State's defense. I think they want them to. I mean, I, I think Ohio State, you know, is going to be reasonably well prepared for a running Deshaun Watson. But I also think that that's going to be the key component of offensive or Clemson's offensive game plan to try to, you know, throw Ohio State off a little bit, to just get them so concerned about the pass that they're going to, you know, ignore the eight and nine yards that it gets every time he runs the ball. Um, for me, the third one is. I mean, this is something that we've been harping on all season. You have to get. Curtis Samuel, the ball. This is it. <laughs> for right. God, all right. He's got. He was in Sports Illustrated for God's sakes. Remember him. Just hand it off to him. Throw it to him deep. <laughs> the guys that he's the fastest dude on the team. Do something with him. Do not like. I, there is no point in not doing literally every play that you've ever practiced with that dude and just throwing it out on the field. You have to try to just see what he can do because. Look, the Ohio State offense is demonstrably better when he is just doing basically all of it. So I, I just want him to to get involved way more than we've seen in any other game. Look, I understand that coaches are going to want to win a football game the surest, you know, most likely way that they can, which means that they want as much control over the flow of the game as they possibly can get. You have to let that go a little bit. You have to be able to say, you know what? We're going to live or die by how well Curtis Samuel plays in this game. And look, maybe he doesn't do so great. Maybe it doesn't work out. But honestly, like when you're up against an offense that's as good as Clemson, you have to try to keep pace somehow. That involves getting it to your best offensive player. And you've got to do that consistently and often, especially like, I mean, as soon as the game starts, don't try to like ease them into it. I want to see a bomb deep on the first freaking play that will go five yards over his head and it won't matter. You just have to do it. He's got it. I mean, it, buddy. And the funny thing is, is, is I mentioned that as my number two, part of my number two, it's your number three. It's, it's yeah. the fact that we have to talk about it. It just has been right. so confounding that, that this has been like a issue all season that this dude, like I stand by what I said a month ago, if he is used properly in the last three games, he is the Midwest representative at the Heisman trophy. Oh, yeah. He's that special of a football player. Um, he went over 700, 700. I think he could have been over a thousand, a thousand if they just would have given him at bats. So if they're if they've been holding him for something, then damn it, let him loose. Save him uh, for Bama. Let, let him loose on my God, let him loose on Saturday because I'm with you. I, it's going to be a lot of points. I think both teams are going to score. Clemson, I think, will score. So it's going to be to me. This is a game in the low 40s, mid 30s, 
and last team that has the ball probably wins it. I, yeah. I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a classic football game. Last two things I want to say about this. So first of all, uh, our good buddy Alvin wrote in last week and wanted to know our opinion on the, like the New Year's Bowl games. I think they're Stupid. trash. I'm New really Year's irritated Indiana. about it. Stupid. Um, and the other thing that I want to say, at least in terms of like, you know, how Ohio State is going to perform and all this stuff. My, I wrote about this. I think either last. I think it was the week before last week, and I was furious because Clemson took away my favorite you know, Ohio State record of all time. And this will be at least some small measure of revenge for Ohio State no longer being undefeated when they score 35 points or more. So, <laughs> like, I just, I, I need it. I really need them to beat Clemson <laughs> by exactly 35 to yeah. 34. And that will make my life so much better. That, might, that will increase my quality of living enormously. So I, I really need that to happen. Um, just so I can... Revenge. Yeah, just so I can sleep a little better at night. But I don't know. I, I, I'm with you. I think it's going to be a really great game. Um, it's it's God, it's really going to be fascinating to see how the Ohio State defense uh, approaches Watson and, and tries to contain him. And, and to see, you know, if the <laughs> – I think it's funny that, you know, Klein brought up uh, Noah Brown. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. yeah, you can catch fades. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but no separation. But right. that, but that's the thing. You know, much in the way that we would watch Clemson, that's how you know other people watch Ohio State. And if you yeah. just watch the Oklahoma game or you watch the Wisconsin game, you go, Noah Brown's a star. What's the problem? Yeah. If you watch the rest of the games, you go, well, he can't get, he can't break free. Right. And and anything in inclement weather, JT Barrett can't drive the ball. So we know that because we've watched him every week. Yeah. So it's easily identifiable for us the problem. So. Look, that's got to be job one in the offseason is finding somebody who can break a deep ball because I yeah. think they'll need it. Uh, maybe it's Curtis Samuel on Saturday. Look, it's a game to talk about, and we will do next week. Hopefully we're previewing a, a national championship game, my guess, is against Alabama. Uh, but either way, this season's been gravy, and I, I would encourage you as Buckeye fans to think of it that way, that uh, this is a team that lost all of that talent and is playing in the college football semifinal, and you're pretty damn lucky to be Buckeye fan because a lot of people don't have it this good. Yeah, no kidding, man. I mean <laughs> – just look at, I mean, just look at the stats of Ohio State players like in the NFL right now. Like Ezekiel Elliott, he's 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 close enough to getting you know maybe the you know all time yeah. rookie record for Russia. I mean, just it's completely insane. Yeah, it so, is. So, all right, buddy, good stuff. Uh, we'll visit next week, hopefully about a win and about a preview of Bama. Absolutely, I'm I'm crossing my fingers for Washington, but we'll see. Uh, I don't think you can cross them that tight. Good luck with that, buddy. <laughs> I'm going to throw the points. <laughs> Yeah, they're going to lose. All right, see see you next week. See you next week, pal.